welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. Thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. I am thrilled to announce that my guest this week is Barry Johnson of the band Joyce Manor. They just played two sold-out shows here in L.A. to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of their self-titled album. They also remixed, remastered, and reissued that record on Asian Man Records, if you have not checked that out. Barry was also kind enough to sing on a cover of Game of Pricks by Guided by Voices with my band Touche Amore, which we put up for Bandcamp Friday. So all this felt like a great excuse to talk to Barry. But before we get there, let me ask you this. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? It would mean a lot to me. Do it on Spotify or Apple, wherever you're enjoying this podcast. If it happens to be Apple and you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing the show, that would mean a lot to me. But what what would uh, truly, truly mean the most is if you supported the show on Patreon. You can hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You get a lot of bonus stuff. A lot of fun things happen over there. Bonus radio episodes and the ability to submit questions to upcoming guests for a bonus episode. So, for example, today, subscribers get a bonus episode where they hear the questions answered by Barry that they submitted. So, once again, hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Now, let's talk about my wonderful sponsors, Discovered Magazine. Discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of art, music, skateboarding, and anything with a punk ethos. Listeners get 10% off a yearly subscription by using the code FIRSTEVER, spelled out, when you hit up store.dscvrd.co. Rootless Coffee. My friends over at Rootless Coffee are a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars, collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more. Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when they visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. Before we get onto the show, I just want to let everyone know my band leaves for tour in about two weeks. Uh, My band is supporting Thrice with our friends in Self-Defense Family. And uh, I just want to let you know that the show is going to keep going. I've pre-recorded a lot of episodes. There's a lot of good stuff coming up, and um, you know I'm going to be I'm going to be doing my best to keep the keep the train rolling. So don't worry about getting hit with a bunch of reruns or just some empty space. I got I got things I think kind of sorted. So thank you so much for your um, just attention. You know, just thanks so much for your attention with this podcast. It means a lot to me. All right, here's my conversation with Barry Johnson. Enjoy. Awesome. I appreciate you making time. How how are you today, Barry? I'm good, man. I just uh, got my girlfriend's family in town. Where are they so from? Just, they're from Canada, Ottawa, Ottawa, Canada. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, yeah. have they spent much time in California before? They came out once before the pandemic, and I met them, but it was when we were just starting to i would we and ali were just seeing each other for like a month or two so i met them kind of briefly then and then and it was really nice and then the pandemic happened so she hasn't seen her parents for like almost two years oh my god yeah yeah so it's really it's been really great to get to spend time with them are they uh are they going to be able to be out here for for a prolonged amount of time or is it just kind of like a quick trip kind of depends on your what you think what you would 
Yeah, they're out here. For, like, they've been out here since the Palladium. Um, so like. Oh, okay. About a week. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. you know is good. Yeah. So we we got to hang a bunch, and they're gonna when when I'm back on the road, we're we're doing a tour in April, and they're gonna come stay for a while and help yeah. out with the dog and all that type of stuff. Um, let's real quick uh, re- recap that weekend. How how are you feeling? Like, how long did it take you to kind of decompress from those two shows? I don't know that I'm. I am. I don't know that I have. I think that there was a lot. I felt a lot of pressure to have fun. I felt a lot of pressure for it to be um, a really big deal and like a really, um, you know, like uh, to have it be really. I feel like there was a lot of people really excited about it, like kids and a lot of people like being like, "Man, that's that's amazing! You guys doing two nights and they're sold out." I'm like, "You must be so stoked!" And I, and I am, and I was, but it's fucking weird because of the <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. And out of the pandemic and the first thing that you really do is these like big ass shows kind of wasn't sure if I was going to totally have forgotten how to do it. And I kind of did a little bit like I in general, my social skills are not what they used to be. Not that they were ever that great, but like they <laughs> I'm just fucking like don't I don't um, talk to people I don't know really that well. Yeah. You know, like I, most of the interactions I have with people I'm really close with and it's kind of like. Yeah, the pandemic is just, I'm not really that good at shooting the shit anymore. And um, shooting the shit on st- as a front person on stage, it's either like you kind of rehearse it or you're just really like really good at that or you are you just can shoot the shit with 4,000 people at once, which I can't. Like I, and I tried doing a little bit of it. I tried, and I mostly I just tried to be like thankful and gracious and say like, you know, thank you all so much. You can only say that so many times. So you're supposed to feel like you're supposed to fucking say something between songs. And I just had no clue what to say. Well, I went the second night and you admitted on stage that you, you'd had a few. You're a little okay. more loosey goosey. Yeah. 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 So, well, I wanted to see because uh, the night before was fun, but yeah. I was, I didn't really, I, I think I only had like one or two beers before and we played really well, but I was like, man, that was really fun. And I, I, I liked it, but I was like, maybe I would have been a little more chatty or like, uh, I don't know, just relaxed if I like had you, a few, kind of partying. Do you feel like the second night you were a little more comfortable in your skin? No, fuck no. <laughs> no, I was not comfortable at all, but I was just a little drunk. Like I was just less good at playing guitar and still didn't know what the fuck to say. And still like, <laughs> yeah. So no, it didn't work. I, and, I think um, you're. I think you're giving yourself a little extra hard time because I've, you know, I've obviously been seeing your band live for whatever it is 12 years or or however long it's been now and i've never once been like damn very awkward as hell on stage i I, yeah in the early days i used to try to be funny and so i would just say stupid shit that would get like not necessarily get me in trouble but just be like dude that was not (laughs) funny and just weird and like what the fuck are you doing so i err on the side of not saying too much but yeah um, yeah, I like bands that have like a funny, f- funny front person that's cracking jokes and shit. And, and I think that's really a, a part of the show for a lot of people. And a lot of, like, it really reminds people that you're actually there and you're a person, you know, like, cause when you're just up there playing songs, it's like, I don't know. It just maybe doesn't necessarily totally feel like, um, you're there in the room, but when you're actually kind of having a conversation with the crowd, it, it kind of brings maybe people into the moment a little more. I understand that, but, but 
just for for I don't know. I'm, I'm sure days have passed and you're not thinking about it anymore. But I just want to remind you that uh, I felt I, I felt like uh, I felt like you were warm and and thankful and you made everyone feel very comfortable and happy to be there at a time when obviously yeah we're all still anxious about being back at shows. Kinda that was hard to do. Yeah, dude, yeah that was. Yeah. I mean, that was my second show, but only was just like two days before was my first show, and that was like a warehouse in downtown LA. And then, yeah. so this was like big concert and, um, totally. nobody, no, I mean, the vibe felt great. You know, it, cool. I, I didn't feel the nervousness. Everybody, I mean, if anything, I would say the crowd is possibly too relaxed, you know, where it's like, wow. Yeah. Oh <laughs> no, know? totally. Yeah. And like we, like the, the palladium asked us to post those like COVID guidelines and there was yeah, like yeah, stuff yeah. about wear a mask and like try to like keep distance from people, which is like kind of rid- ridiculous. Right. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. Yeah. And people are like pissed off in the comments, either like one way or the other. Some people are like, this isn't enough. Like everyone needs to have proof of vaccination. Sure. Or just basically like you can't like throwing a 4,000 person rock show at the tail end of a pandemic is not the most responsible thing to do. But like, you know, uh, you do, you're do doing it. your best and, and people, with what you got. People yeah. got it. People are doing it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, anyway, whatever. Um, some people were really mad that we were taking precautions. Some people were mad that we weren't taking enough precautions. And yeah, I just made it feel like very um, kind of self-aware. And I was like, how are we supposed to kind of lose ourselves in this when this is kind of on everyone's mind? But as soon as the show started and, you know, I watched Tiger's Draw and Turnover, I was like, oh, people are chilling. But, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is fine. It's just people on the internet. It's a handful of people on the internet that are like, Exactly. their opinions about what's the proper way to behave during a pandemic. Exactly. And everybody else, the people actually at the gig were just fucking having fun and being normal. I was going to say the people that were probably giving you the hardest time were people who were like, you know, in Ohio who weren't coming exactly. to the show. Anyway. Not, not even at the show. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so the show, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it's all about, you know, first, first experiences and things like that. So like when I talk to musicians, one of the first things I like to ask is, uh, like for you, do you remember the first time you felt like you were connecting with music in a way that I guess felt like it was yours? Hmm. That's, I remember the first time I connected with music and it was George Michael's faith when I was a little kid. I can remember listening to that and just, yeah, be like it blowing my mind and being, that's kind of when I started being obsessed with music was when I heard George Michael's faith. I, I, I have to, I, I have to pause and ask, how did you feel as you were a little older and then the Limp Bizkit cover came out? Were you were you pissed? Not down. Yeah, I wasn't a new metal guy. <laughs> uh, I, I like new metal more now. Like when like Linkin Park comes on the radio, I'm like crawling in. I'm like, this fucking this goes. This is tight. I like it now. <laughs> but I didn't like it as a kid. I thought new metal <laughs> yeah, was Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, sorry, go ahead. So yeah, I was not into not into Limp Bizkit and shit, no. Yeah. Uh George Michael's still way into it. Yeah. Um the first band that felt like mine was the Weaker Thins. I, I love I was before that I was like my ma- first band I was obsessed with was AFI. And but that didn't necessarily feel like mine. And AFI was very like, you know, through our bleeding, we are one. You know, like it was very like a community of dark freaks, you know, like in the shadows or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And so but it didn't really feel like it was speaking directly to me because it was in fucking Latin and shit anyway. So I didn't know even know what it was about. <laughs> but the first, I got a comp that had the Weaker Than si- song Aside on it. And I, I remember just playing it over and over again and really feeling like um, 
I was the only person in the world that th- was connecting with this song this much, you know? And really, um, yeah, it's just, you know, you're 14 years old and it's just, that just blew my mind. That was also the first song that I had heard from them right around that time Left and Leaving was coming out. What was the comp? Do you know? Do you remember? It was a CD sampler that um, came with something I ordered off Interpunk. Okay. Um, and it was probably it just like seven a songs. hopeless records, like a subsidy comp. It, ho- it yeah. must have been a hopeless subsidy comp. Yeah. yeah. It had Thrice. Totally. Identity then. Crisis track one. It had Adamus Package, Undercover Funny. It had, oh shit, it had Selby Tigers. Oh, wow. Weaker Thans. Uh, Scared of Chaka. And it only had like seven songs. I, and I, I, I can't think of the other two. Yeah. It might have been. Yeah, but I could I could find out. Um, But yeah, the Weaker Than song absolutely floored me. I, I, I listen, I love everything off that. I love that Thrice song. <laughs> like sometimes I'll, I'll put on that, that Thrice song and I'll just be like, this is so fucking sick. <laughs> and that was also, uh, that was actually the heaviest thing I'd ever heard in my life to that point. Sure. Um, And like, that's a killer riff. And just like, yeah, when, when those screamy vocals happened, I was just like, holy shit. Like I, I had, you know, obviously being obsessed with AFI, I had um, uh, Show Your Mouth and Open Your Eyes and that was pretty hard. But this was a little bit, I guess it's more metal, so it's heavier, you know? Was that a song? I'm assuming that was probably a song off like that, the first record, like the is Identity, Identity Crisis. Crisis? It was the song, yeah. I think. The song is, yeah. Oh, okay. It kind of has the lo-fi intro that... Okay. And then it comes in all like... Around, <laughs> holy <laughs> shit! Yeah, it blew me away. I loved that. Did you? When? Um, how soon after did you get to see the Weaker Thans? Um, I saw him a couple times. The first time I think I no, the first time I saw him would have been Reconstruction Site Tour. Okay, at the Troubadour, sat up on the balcony. Um, and well, the first I remember the first two songs we were standing, and then we went up to the balcony and sat there, and the balcony kind of hangs over the crowd, and we were like. I felt like we were maybe 12 feet from the band watching them from slightly above, but like really close enough to like make out their facial expressions and still feel like really close and intimate, but you're in the front row of the balcony and just completely like, um, like in a trance, like just totally, I was on hanging on every word and they were so good. My jaw was just on the floor the whole time. They did the thing, um, they spin the thing. You know what I'm talking about? They had like a weird like ho like hose. Okay. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, all, yeah. I don't know like, what that instrument's oh, called. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like almost a like Halloween toy or some shit that they would spin around. Blew my mind. I had. Yeah, and every song they played was great. It was so good. I'm trying to think. I had. I wonder if I was at that. I had to have been at that show. The first time I saw them was at the Troubadour 2. And it was at. It was 2003, for, maybe? 2003? This, uh, this was for left and leaving and i remember it was oh, just okay. it was wild because dashboard confessional opened they were Whoa. yeah so it was like and i remember uh that was like i feel like the summer probably when dashboard started to like pick up yeah. it was like the places record had come out so i remember the crowd being pretty there for dashboard you know yeah. like, oh, like, bummer. like there was a a bit of a walkout after Damn um brutal yeah this was a different show yeah because this would this would have been the next record so yeah i i I mean i'm sure you're like me where it's like i just feel so lucky that i was able to to see that band live ever they were yeah what a band i saw them again i saw them again at the l ray a few years later i was definitely at that show that was with like loose with like lucero Lucero? yeah yep yeah 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 yeah. um Um, that was cool um that was just more of a rock gig and they were great i I mean i was singing along every word like 
Yeah, and they were just one of those bands where like they just. I mean, they have songs I like more than others, but almost every song's good. <laughs> I'm with you. Everything they play was good. Yeah. Just every every word was good. Yeah. Like every note is good. Do you it was just like, yeah, I love that band. Do you feel like what connected for you was John K. Sampson as a lyricist? Yeah. Yeah. And you and just his voice and the way it rocked. Um, the mel a great great little melodies, but the lyrics were blowing my mind. Do you like, s- do you still look to him when you? maybe have to start writing a record or something like, do you go back and kind of revisit, uh, uh, his material as some sort of influence? Yeah. When I'm, when I'm trying to, when I'm trying to write and the first batch of songs I always write have bad lyrics. And then I start listening to music with good lyrics. Cause I don't always listen to music for lyrics. Like I, like one of my favorite bands, Rolling Stones and I listen to Rolling Stones all the time, but I don't really think they have particularly great lyrics. Like some good lines, you know, can't always get what you want. has some cool lines in it, but I don't listen to the Rolling Stones for the lyrics. It's like the grooves, the riffs, the way it sounds, the way it feels. Mick Jagger's got a killer voice and cool style and great delivery. Yeah. But and the same with like the Beatles are another one of my favorite bands. Like not the best lyrics. But when I when I want to dig into lyrics, yeah. You know who I would go to before I would go to Weaker Than's honestly is uh Mountain Goats. Oh, okay. John Darneal. That would that would be my main dude if I'm really just like how to be concise and devastating and just um like just great one-liners but also just like how to set up a lyric and stuff so let me ask he you he would be my main dude let me ask you when it comes to the mountain goats because i am a dip my toe in but they have oh. so many records i think the yeah, only they, album way too much stuff i think the only album i actually own is the the west texas record okay that's great like on vinyl but like uh do you have records that you connect with like like do you have like a favorite record from them um is it tough to you say you know what actually no i wouldn't say so um i love the era after like the lo-fi era like when he started doing um there's a couple records in a row like we shall all be healed um tallahassee and um sunset tree is great sunset tree is great all the way that's one of the first ones he did that's autobiographical autobiographical and then yeah he had a really good run of records a few I mean, I say a few years ago now is maybe like ten or twelve years ago. <laughs> right. But all Eternal's decks, uh, all all Eternal decks, I think it's called, and then um, Transcendental Youth is another one. But yeah, all, I already I've named like seven records, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's daunting. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel. I you. would say a, a really good one if you don't have it or if you never listened to it is um called the Sunset Tree. That is just, and I, I think that would be a, a favorite for a lot of people. I can picture. I know what the album cover looks like. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like I've, I've, like I said, with like dipping my toe. Like I'm, yeah. I, I could tell you what the Tallahassee cover looks like, but it's just yeah, I've totally, never, totally. I've never owned them. You know, I'll put yeah. that on my list. It's, it's a little more, it's a little more, um, it's hi-fi. It's not, it's not like a as like lo-fi or whatever. But um, it's a really great song. Yeah, I mean, you know that song this year. That's kind of the hit off it. Oh, I don't I know if I'm gonna make it through this year if it kills me. That's um. That's on there. Anyway, yeah, that okay. one has like hit, actual hits on it. Um, okay, it was it was in some TV show, uh, maybe like The Walking Dead or something, and oh, had a big nice. song off that record. And, and so, if you go to Spotify, that that song has like a bajillion gazillion plays or whatever. Sure, so. sure, sure. Um, uh, yeah. So, when you were young, what was uh, what was the first concert you went to? For, okay, first thing I went to was Warp Tour '97. Okay, um, but first show was okay so i went to see afi sick of it all hot water music at the ventura theater but that felt like a concert went with my went with my stepdad 
and like was there to see a concert. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, I was a little kid. I was in middle school and the first like show at like chain reaction where like it was, I've kind of felt like I was the same age as the people there roughly. And like, um, felt like I was at a show, not like at a rock production or whatever was, um, big D and the kids table, the Lawrence arms, slow gherkin and MU three thirty at chain reaction. And that was what really blew my mind and made me want to like go to every show. And be like, because that was chain. It was chain. I was sure. at chain. It was like, I don't know. It, it didn't feel like fancy or anything. It felt like I was at a show. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the obvious next statement or question is like, well, how crazy does it feel to be playing with Neil Hennessy? It's so <laughs> funny. I was, telling him, about, I was yeah. telling him about that because when when I when I was at that show, um, they all had mohawks. Everyone in the Lone Times had a mohawk. So I was like, <laughs> damn, these guys are like. Punk, punkers, punkers, <laughs> and I told him that, and he was just like so, like kind of embarrassed. He was like, "Oh, dude, no!" Like it was everyone on the tour got mohawks, like kind of to be funny. It was just like a funny like tour, yeah, gag. Like, and he told me he's like he's like he kept his like <laughs> like like he like he like had it on the next tour, and his babies were like, "Bro, like what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like get rid of that mohawk, man! Like you look you look ridiculous." But um, so I had I had like a total, and I I became a fan a lot of times later. I they didn't really blow me away at that time. I was were you there for like the ska elements? Yeah, I was there for, yeah. oh dude, big time. Yeah, yeah. And Lawrence Arms, that Not show, ska. and I don't know if every show was like that at Chain at that time or is still like that. But you couldn't hear the vocals at all. There was like no vocals. So Lawrence Arms just was sounded like fast punk, and I couldn't hear any vocals. Sure. So. So yeah, like even like you know they have some great songs from that era, and I think they got they got better like, yeah, like a little later. And um, but I don't even know if they were playing good songs because you can't <laughs> hear any vocals. Yeah, um, but the ska bands blew me away. Okay. Man, I I feel like the Lawrence Arms is one of the first bands that I saw play like so drunk, like so drunk was that, that I was Troubadour? like, yes, were you? The oh, he, I think he got drugged. Talk? I talked to I talked to Neil after that and and he was like he said they were so embarrassed and like he kind of like yelled at Brendan afterwards and he was like realized like oh he's he's like drugged Whoa. I think he got like roofied or something yeah fuck yeah, yeah. yeah. I know yeah I wasn't at that show but yeah. my friend Chad was and he said it was like they yeah. just didn't they didn't play music it was like there was no music that happened basically there was like a part or a point and I remember because I mean the crowd is like you know in on it like kind of egging that on yeah, yeah, yeah where like uh, Brendan turns around. And he has like um like the rack mount kind of like you know whatever first yeah. base. So when he's tuning, everyone can see the line, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and he's turned he's turned around and he's like leaned over, squinting at it. Yeah. And he's trying to tune, and he just goes, "Whatever, it's near the middle. I don't give a fuck." Yeah. <laughs> it was just like. Yeah. It, damn, but that's I mean that takes a dark turn. That, that that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I. I maybe he yeah. was maybe he wasn't i'm not sure yeah. jesus um i mean but for a chain show so that would have been probably i wonder what was what record they would have been on at that time uh go i think ghost stories maybe oh okay. it might have been before before Sh- ghost stories sure 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 okay so i mean yeah then at that point it's like even more kind of like less it's like almost kind of broadways ish y- yeah you know? like less hooky better totally. production all that sort of stuff yeah yeah it was I, just fat it was just fast punk with no vocals totally i i definitely came on board with them on the uh uh what's the record after that greatest story 
No, one before it. Uh, uh, apathy and apathy, exhaustion. Yeah, I was like, my yeah. brain was like, it starts with an A. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like apathy, greatest story, oh, Calcutta is like, that's a that's a heat run. You know, it's like killer. those are three killer, yeah. just fucking incredible. I like records. the splits. They did a couple splits and they like they put it out as cocktails and dreams. Like totally. that's my favorite stuff. I <sighs> love that stuff. Brendan has these like great short songs in that yeah. era that are like a minute twenty and they're just amazing. I'm like. They don't really repeat. They're kind of these like non-linear tunes that are just do you fucking think, awesome. Do you think that that... Or linear tunes, rather. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I feel you. I used to, I, fucked, <laughs> I, fucked that, I fucked that up yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you feel like, maybe without realizing it, that became kind of an influence for when Joyce Manor started writing? Because obviously you guys historically have pretty pretty short, shorter songs. Sometimes the choruses don't repeat, especially yeah. early on. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. I... I, when I first started writing songs, it was um, I was I learned how to I learned how to play guitar and I learned a bunch of Operation Ivy songs and so I learned I, my first songs I wrote sounded like Operation Ivy and were structured like Operation Ivy songs, which often are kind of verse chorus verse chorus, but they are still short because they're kind of fast and snappy, but they they're pretty traditional song structure, and then there was a local band called La Joshua and they didn't have um, they were like an emo band. But they would write um, songs with unconventional song structure, and that kind of blew my mind. That it, you you could have like a total hook, like because they had like hooks, but they wouldn't repeat them. It would just be like a verse, a different like a, kind of like a bridge, and then a chorus, and then like an outro, and the song would be like a minute twelve or something. But like a lot would happen, you know, like yeah, almost kind of I don't know, yeah, like. And then yeah, Lawrence Arms would would do that too. And I don't I don't even think I noticed that the Lawrence Arms did it, but because they did it so when you do it really well, you um, don't really notice. But because because the chorus happens and it's yeah. satisfying. It's satisfying like a song would be. But I became kind of really obsessed or not obsessed with intrigued like really intrigued with the idea of trying to write songs that didn't have um, a, tr- a typical song structure. Sure, and I think that ref- that definitely reflects. I'm gonna put a pin in that sure. part of the conversation to come back to in a little yeah, bit. Yeah. We're, 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 we're still chipping away at, yeah, at, totally. at young Barry right now. Um, so you just mentioned playing guitar. When did you start? Was it guitar your first instrument? I had a bass, but I never really learned how to play it. I okay. went to a couple lessons and, and I actually learned uh Lincoln park. Um, what's the song? Uh, One step closer. Yes. Dum, dum. And mm-hmm. I remember being really annoyed because I learned the bass line, which is, slightly different from the guitar part like it doesn't do the whole riff it just emphasizes certain parts of the riff yeah and i remember like i kind of like i'm such a probably a little asshole but kind of arguing with my bass teacher i was like <laughs> bro i know how this riff goes and this is not it like that's not the riff but i didn't really understand how to um differentiate the guitar and the bass at that time sure you know so he was sure he's like he's like he's like yeah i'm like a bass instructor at sam ash you know what i mean like <laughs> i know i know what i'm talking about and I, I was like, it, I was like, I don't think you do, man. I think the riff is a little different. Like you almost yeah. have it. And anyway, I feel um, like it, I feel like it took until maybe even being in a band uh, with a good bass player like Tyler, where like I, I don't, I think in my brain I was like, oh, the guitar and bass just always follow this exact same yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I I figured it out because I, I like I said, I have the ska band. Sure. Um, I, I'll, I'll just really quick aside. I had the ska band. And when I when we first wrote songs, I just had the bass follow 
the guitar, which when you're playing Scott, that sounds <laughs> crazy. Yeah. He's like, yeah, doing upstrokes on bass. So it was yeah. like ho- horrible. And this guy, Dan Matsura, little, he was like a little older and really nice guy. This guy, Dan Matsura, like, he was like, hey, man, like, your song's cool. It's really cool. But the bass needs to, like, it needs to walk. And he kind of explained what a walking bass line is. He's like, start on the root and then, like, kind of do, like, a pattern. And that, like, really opened my eyes. And um, that was when I, like, yeah, I really kind of started to discover the relationship um, with bass in, in a song and how it kind of can kind of work. And once, and then I would hear it in like Beatles songs and stuff. I hear like Paul McCartney is like doing that. And I'm like, oh shit, it's not just that, a ska thing. Yeah, yeah. Did that take you kind of a minute to to sort of sort out and figure out how to do it? No, in, no. Okay. I, I actually started writing really cool bass lines right away. Like I, I took to that really quickly. Um, but yeah, by that point, I was I think I was like 17 or so. So I. I learned how to play guitar when I was like 16. My friend taught me how to play Seven Nation Army on guitar, and um, and I thought I just thought I don't know why. Like I when I when I learned bass, I never learned the notes or anything. Like I didn't know the names of the strings or like I think the guy told me and I just I immediately as a kid, even as an adult now, I just someone tells me something, I just immediately forget it and. Um, <laughs> I just didn't care. I was like, all right, whatever. How does, how do I play one? You know, how do I play this AFI song? Right. And then, and then, uh, he would show me and I'd be like, it doesn't sound like the guitar. This sucks. And then I kind of <laughs> stopped playing bass. Anyway, um, my friend Brian explained to me that there are not a million different notes. I thought there was like every single fret was a different note. You're right. I was like, how the fuck did these people remember this? Shit? I thought you had to be like a genius. Like it's like learn knowing how to like fly a plane to be able to play guitar. And then he kind of like explained it to me really well, actually. Like, no, man, it's just a couple different notes, and this one's the same as this one, and this is how it works. And and I was like, oh shit, that this is so much more doable. And he showed me how to play Seven Nation Army, and then from there, I just learned um, a bunch of. I learned pretty much every Op Ivy song, and I learned it kind of by ear. I just like sat down and figured it out, which I mean, it's not that impressive, but I learned that, and then I just learned Modest Mouse songs. So it was, it was Operation Ivy and Modest Mouse, which kind of makes sense for Joyce Manor. Yeah, it's it's funny like when if you, you were put, to blend those. Yeah, you know, yeah, in a, yeah. In a smoothie. Yeah, it's funny Maybe. how that stuff happens where like when you get down to the root of what you're like or even just like kind of maybe what everyone in the band kind of sonically can agree on. Yeah, totally. It's interesting. Like for for Touche, I think there's like four bands that we all collectively like, like that all five of us yes, like. Exactly. And everyone it, can agree on, yeah. It's like Envy converge jimmy eat world and like rancid or something like that where you're like right i guess like yeah 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 (laughs) for sure um so then so what was that so the first band was a ska band it was just exactly like operation ivy and then that that kind of basically our guitar player got into drugs and stopped showing up to practice and the band kind of dissolved and then um i um I was I was hanging out with this girl and she was I was telling her like about my hopes and dreams. I want to be in a band so bad. And I just can't find anybody that's like serious about it. And um, she's like, "You sound like my friend Chad." And then she, and I had actually the ska band had played with his band. He had a, he had a band called Let's Go Over There, and we had played one show together. So I knew who he was, and but we didn't know him at all. And she was like, "Yeah, he's all he talks about is how he wants to tour and he wants to be in a, he wants to like take it seriously." So I just hit him up cold on on AIM. I, I was like, "Bro, you don't know me, but well, I want to start a band with you." 
and he was down. And then and then we started a band that was kind of like I was still kind of writing songs that were like similar to the ska punk thing, but I wasn't doing ska. It would go from like um like a weird quiet part kind of like pixies it was more of a pixies dynamic of a quiet verse and then it gets loud for the chorus but yeah still but still kind of that ska punk does the same thing it's like the dynamic shift and i was really stuck in that that kind of thing for a while and then yeah once i got into the joshua that kind of pushed me to or pushed me to um were they like a torrance based band yeah they were actually from like redondo beach they were um they were awesome they were they're so good it's still still really whole like it sounds crazy when you listen to it because it was just two guitars with no bass. Kind of like noisy, but like they kind of had that Black Flag thing where they were like really like destructive and like a- angry live, but they also had like cello and they were kind of, it was very emo, hmm. but, but, um, were they, did they just weird. stay local or did they ever put out any records? They, toured, so they toured with Mika Miko. They did a, they did okay. like a West Coast with Mika Miko. One, they did like one tour, but, there are a lot of personalities in that band, and the drummer wrote everything. The huh. dr- and, uh, yeah, his name is Drew, Drew Pearson, and he he's really just really really good songwriter. And um, yeah, it was just kind of like kind of noisy, and it, it got weirder as it went on. Like it yeah. was um, it was kind of like sassy in the beginning, maybe kind of like I think they saw XPXRX and were really influenced by that, and they they were kind of like it's kind of sassy. They had keyboard and. Um, it sounds like they it, should have been a smell house band, but they were. They would play from the smell Ro- a lot. But I was just say, but the they're from Redondo Beach. <laughs> yeah, but they would play the smell a lot. They were on that that comp that um, under under twenty one comp okay. uh, that the smell put out. They were on that. Uh, okay, this all makes sense. Yeah, it was just kind of a, it was kind of a sm- like a artsy smell band, but it had this like South Bay aggro ness to it, and um, kind of just uh, it was punk. It was like super punk and and really and catchy. Like they had hooks. And uh, and c- c- really cool lyrics, and um, yeah, I loved it. it Definitely, yeah. I'm gonna text you after this just to remind myself of of, of like what this band is because I'm super curious to check it out. It's it's yeah, not it's not for everybody, but I, I think and, and I hope it's not a you had to be there thing. But um, but I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's something kind of charming in that. You know, when e- I, even I love if it, I love yeah. bands like that. Yeah, like like when when someone shows me I'm like some local band that they were all about that. I'm just yeah. Like, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Sure. <laughs> it's yeah. always interesting to me. I'm like, yeah, put that on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was so with these with these like early bands, what was the first show that you played? Do you remember what your first show yeah. was? Yeah. Um I think Kid Gruesome had done some uh So the band was called Kid Gruesome? Kid Gruesome, Simpsons reference. That's nice. Mo, Moe's boxing name. Like yeah. instead of Kid um, Gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When uh, when you get exactly you, yeah, the boxing episode, yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> we're called Kid Gruesome, um, very cool. And um, I'm trying to. I think the first show might have been just some backyard show, but the first show I re- really can remember was in Riverside. There was kind of like a ska punk scene out in Riverside at a place called Back to the Grind. It was like a oh yeah, house. yeah, I remember yeah. that. The downstairs. So it was a. Uh, was that the place that was the basement of the coffee shop? I think it was. That's yeah. where they started having shows. I, I, my memory is that we actually played in the coffee shop, though. I think they used to do shows like in the actual coffee shop. Yeah, because it, it had there a was, different layout. Right, because it was back to the grind, and then right next door was that other venue that with the, that was upstairs. It was literally right next door. Oh, see, it might have been that. I might be. I might be confusing confusing with something else because I've played back to the grind with Joyce Manor. And yeah, it was in the it was in the basement. Okay, 
Yeah, I mean, and th- this this show with Kid Grissom was not not there, but it was a coffee shop, and it was sick. And, okay, and um, it was only like our second second or maybe the second show, and uh, people were into it. Like people were like, like, do you guys have like CDs or anything? And we did nothing. Like we didn't even have shirts or anything. So. And did you sing in this band too? I was just a singer, lead singer. Yeah. Just the like, singer. Yeah, yeah. I was just a lead singer in a lot of my bands. And, Whoa. Um, Joyce Manor was kind of one of the first times I really played guitar in, in a band. Whoa. Okay. Man, yeah. I was so, all about it too, dude. I was like, I was like, front man, you know, like I was like <laughs> going off and shit. Like, yeah. Man. Embarrass- yeah, it, it's not embarrassing, but it's just like no. it's hard to me. It's hard for me to imagine myself doing that. Like, yeah. I really I think I was quite quite different then. Interesting. I went the other route. I always played guitar in bands, yeah. and then Touche was the first one I sang in. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I wanted to be. I wanted to be in the front, man, with the mic. So even though you were playing bass and guitar and all of that, you never had the urge to do it. Like full. I, I wrote the songs, and then yeah. I just like I just want to be the singer. I just want to go. I just want to go off. Wow. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to go off, man. Yeah, and, I, ever... and I think I was good at it, like because I had that confidence. Like I had the. Uh, I was there to go off, you know, like, and I wanted to make a. I wanted to be seen, you know? So Yeah. Interesting. Do you, this might be a, a, a bit of a drawn out psychoanalytical question, but like, what do you think if you could pinpoint change between that person versus the person I was just talking to when this, when this podcast started, <laughs> who was like freaking out about talking to people on stage, talking, you know what I'm saying? Like, is yeah. it just, is oh. it just youth and experience? No, it's, I'll tell you what it is. It's, I am more comfortable with myself and less insecure now. I am more, um, I had, I felt like I had a lot to prove then and I didn't Mm. have necessarily a good opinion of myself. And, um, but I was like acting out. I was, um, uh, just typical, like people who are annoying, like, you know, they, they are, um, hurting inside and they want to, um, they're they're re- reacting. They're acting out. I was kind of acting out because I I didn't feel like uh, I was. I didn't have a good I didn't have a good opinion of myself, and I wanted to like prove myself wrong or something. I don't know. Like I didn't feel like I was um, being noticed or something or or yeah. And I wanted to be noticed, and uh, I don't feel that way now. I'm a lot more at ease and comfortable in my own skin, and I mean have been for some time. Like it's not something that happened happened super recently, and yeah, um, yeah I just don't feel the need to like uh i guess yeah i mean that's make a, make a spectacle of myself yeah you know? i mean and that's yeah. wonderful it's funny when i interviewed pat flynn uh fiddlehead half heart the other yeah, like a couple yeah, weeks yeah. ago or yeah, at this point a couple months ago um the first time he ever sang was like someone in a band that he was going to go see basically gave him the mic and was like sing the song or whatever and we were talking about how the first time you're holding the microphone and it's like you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know yeah. how your body's going to oh, react. Totally. You don't yeah. know any of that. And it's funny when you're younger, the first thing you kind of do is you're more confrontational, you know, yeah. like you want to exactly. get in people's faces. And I like, was confrontational. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and I'm not that way anymore. Yeah. Right. And it, and I, it's like a youthful thing or it's like a, it's finally like your time to like get something out that you didn't realize you were even sheltering. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is I had a lot to prove. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I guess maybe like with age and maybe even with some success, I don't feel like I have as much to prove. And I'm more like comfortable with um, myself and my achievements and my failures and my um, 
relationships and stuff, and maybe it didn't feel that way before, and I felt like I had a lot to prove. Yeah. I, and when I, I had totally the mic, I was like, it's my fucking <laughs> You have to time. fucking Show listen to me. who I am. Yeah. Yeah. This is who I am. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I just I shed that. Thankfully. Yeah. But you know what? Like, people loved it, too, though. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it, it, it did. I, I was pr- a pretty good front man. And... Um, was able to connect with people and uh, people lo- people loved it. And I see other front people like that who are confrontational or whatever. And people are like, damn, that's sick, you know? Yeah. And so I, I maybe lost some of my um, whatever fucking mojo or whatever <laughs> the fuck. <you> know? <laughs> lost me mojo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Austin Powers. Yeah. Sorry, for those of you who are not fucking 35 years old. <laughs> um so what was uh this is always a fun one what about recording do you remember what your first like going into a studio to record was like and and uh yeah, what takeaways you, you had uh yeah i we fucking we recorded with this guy who had a weird like it was like a dat machine but it was like a dat machine for home use it was kind of like a four track a portable sure. four track but on dat <laughs> tapes and we so it sound though no the first recording we did was a boombox recording of kid gruesome which was so fucking good <laughs> like it sounded incredible <laughs> like it, we because we were pretty good like we had a good drummer yeah and a good guitar player like the, the, he got into drugs and i think he turned it around eventually but he was fucking awesome at guitar he played like a jackson or like a randall or something through a crate but it was like amazing like um and uh yeah, and like I said, like I was I was a pretty good front person and we had good energy and the boombox totally captured that. Yeah. And then and then we were like, all right, but we gotta do like a real recording. But I would kill if we to still have that um boombox recording. I think the Kid Gruesome recordings are I don't even know if you, they might be gone. They might have like faded to the sands of digital time. Yeah. Because th- there there were physical CDs, but I would be shocked if anyone had one. Um and those recordings were fucking weird sounding like really the, weird that's the one on the dat like the dat four tracks yes. yeah I, it kind of sounded like everything was direct sort of do you know <laughs> sure. what i mean yeah. and like did weird digital clipping like r- i bet it sounds really bizarre and that was the first time i really heard my voice and mm. i was really not singing naturally i mm. was like doing a caricature i was kind of doing like a no no shade but like i was kind of doing like a brendan kelly thing you know what yeah. I mean? Like it didn't sound like my speaking voice at all. It was like a, a yeah, you're doing snotty, like the snarly punk yeah, thing, totally. But it, it was it was weird to hear, and um, because you're used to hearing it with everyone behind you to where exactly. it's more masked. But once you're like secluded with just, just like, the microphone, you're like, oh, that's what, the? what I sound like. Yeah, 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 not so hot. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know what? Actually, I probably sounded better when it was like the. With when everybody. we're playing as a full band, yeah. And once I kind of had to be on the spot, isolated, it's like well, probably d- clammed up, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I mean, you've certainly in your bands, uh, like in Joyce Manor, there's tons of screaming, especially yeah. in the early stuff, where it's like, dude, hearing a seclu- like uh, just the signal of just screaming, you're oh, that's pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. But you throw just a little music under that. Yeah, cleans totally. it up. Now we're speaking. Yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> now we're speaking. Jesus. Hey, just so you know, I keep wanting to, I keep stopping myself from wanting to ask you the same question back, but 
I'm not being rude. It's just I know that I'm a guest on your podcast, but I keep wanting to like have a normal conversation where like I mean, that's you ask the, me and then I ask you. Yeah, so, I like, mean, we can we can yeah. you can ask me anything, man. I mean, that, that's yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's I mean a, every episode of your show would be like the same. Half of oh. it would be identical each time. You know what I mean? No, I mean, well, so. you know, um, <laughs> I was. This is not as. I'm just when did a, you? I'm let me just ask you when, did you, when did you record your first vocal? Sure. Well, I was going to make a joke. I was like, us artists like to talk about ourselves. So, yeah. so you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, uh, but it's I normally fine. try to like stop myself and, and ask the other person things. And yeah. Stuff, but well, it's, it's very it's sweet of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the first time I recorded vocals would have been for, um, the band I was in, in height, like in, post high school pre touche i played guitar in but i did some backup vocals okay but so, so that kind of counts that doesn't count it does, that doesn't count. you know Was, what i'm saying how, yeah. how old were you when you first did lead vocals so that so that would have been for touche in 2008 oh, wow. yeah so okay, that was like damn. and we recorded did you ever record at love juice laboratories no dude i couldn't afford it but um but yeah i knew bands that didn't it sounded killer yeah, I mean, at it's, the time, at the time, right? Yeah, it's like would it's record a love juice, and I was like, like my American heart and shit, and I was like, this sounds like the it'd be on the radio, right? Right, it's like the most like like a uh like drum replacement sound, like yeah. very like yeah, yeah, wow, it um, sick. I remember we so we recorded, that's maybe where that thrice record was recorded. Maybe we recorded maybe. the demo there, and I and okay. I remember Nick. Uh, who was playing bass for he was playing bass at the time he uh he plugged in his bass and the guy goes it's too loud so he tracked one song with like the correct tone and then he was like it's too loud and made him go direct for the rest of it so the bass sounds like shit after every other song but so that was the first time i recorded vocals like whatever and there we have a song this is what my takeaway was we have a song uh, the song "On Asleep," which we've played plenty yeah, yeah, yeah. on a demo, yeah. So the acapella thing at the end, yeah. Of so about? yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I was, I was stressing out about vocals and lyrics and and all this stuff, like up until the moment, and I didn't have something for the end, that whole outro part, yeah. And I literally, like, I literally like walked around the parking lot, being like, I gotta come up with something, I gotta come up with something, and I and I just I have the paper still i just like wrote it really big like those lyrics Whoa. and just went and just went and was like i'm just gonna try this and just belted that out oh over that's and like over. the moment it was uh, yeah that's the I part mean, you know i'm happy that's it happened crazy. i guess but totally I, but i was also really embarrassed because as you know like when your band and all these people are staring at you in the vocal oh, booth jesus christ yeah and just doing an acapella like oh, ah, takes. like yeah I was, yeah i'm good yeah that's, that's <laughs> like a nightmare yeah. yeah so you know i had to get over myself in a lot of ways but at the same time i think it i i realized i was going to be able to continue to do it but i was i had yeah. that moment where i was afraid where i was like this might be the only time i do this because it might be yeah. really bad totally man actually like we're go back to recording, like or well, on the topic of recording, like yeah. I didn't record really anything that sounded good till we recorded with Alex Estrada. Mm. Alex yeah. was the first person we recorded with. Her. I was like, "Fuck, this actually sounds good," and it changed my life a lot. Like actually having a recording that sounded good, it like very quickly, um, cool things started to happen, and then never really stopped happening till like like now. Um, right. ever since we recorded with Alex Estrada, like it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Like, I mean, you guys put us on shows. That was one of the first like big things. And then, but it just kept 
happening. Like it just every, every few months I'd get some awesome news about something exciting that's happening. I feel like your particularly Joyce Manor and Touche have the same relationship with Alex Estrada to where you and I both go to Alex before we go in to do a record, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do, almost like, always. Yeah, and he yeah. he helps me vocally a lot of the yeah. way that he helps you vocally, which totally. is I come in with an idea of what I'm trying to do, and then mm-hmm. he helps me be like, eh, maybe you could, maybe you should try it for this note, or like if yeah. you're, or I'll come in thinking I I'm just these are some lyrics and I'm just gonna yell. And he'll yeah. be like, whether you realize it or not, you're yelling in a melody. And I'm like, yeah, son exactly. of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, so let's figure out how to make that melody better, you know? Oh, man. It's, for me, the craziest thing was like, I would um, I would record and I'd be like, I'd, we'd hear it back and I'd be like, man, like, I think that vocal mic sucks. Like, because like, because like, they don't, it doesn't, because you know, I listen to Blink-182 and it's like, Enemy <laughs> State is like, the vocal sound, great. Yeah. It's like, it must be, they, I was like, oh, they must have double tracked him. So I'll, I'll double track the, my vocal and I'm like, it's got to be that microphone. That microphone sucks. Like, that's not the right. Yeah. That's a cheap mic or something, you know? And, um, and then I realized when we went in with uh, Alex, oh, I was just singing flat. Like, not, not so terribly flat, but like pretty consistently flat. Mm. And then he was just like, it's just go up a little bit. And then, and then I heard my voice in key and I was like, boom, there it is. Now it actually sounds like a song. But yeah. I don't know. If th- I don't know when I would have ever learned that because, you know, we I, we've recorded with other people, and they don't have the same like really really talented people. Like I, I um, uh, yeah, really really talented people. And either they just don't think it matters that much for it to be like really really inky. They're like, right. no, it's character. Like or like you know, I, I like how you saying it. Like it doesn't. It's it's not perfect, but it's it's close enough. But Alex is like very. Um, he's he just I think it's from his family. It's like his dad is you know a, a very high caliber musician, and he has just really good ear training. So yeah, Alex has like perfect pitch. Yeah, he has great pitch. He has and it, and it's just from you know being growing up in a musical family and um or just his genetics or something. But he hears things that even really really successful producers don't hear, and um it helped me become a much better singer. What also I think helps, certainly helps me, I'm sure helps you, is no judgment, all care. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, like he's totally. ne- like, ne- like this. And you'll you'll do a take, and in your head you're like, got it. And he'll be like, yeah, let's do it again. Like, or or it'll be like, I liked that one, or like it's one yeah, that uh, I didn't really even think about. He'd be like, right. oh, that I really liked that one, and then yeah. uh, and then I'll hear it back, and I'm like, oh yeah, that is. I guess that is cool. okay. That is cool. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't I didn't really hear it that way when I was doing it. Um, so for people, I mean, for people listening that are just hearing, hearing Barry and I kind of talk about this, like what, what I think a good takeaway is that like, if you find someone anywhere in a community that like is willing to just work with you on what you're trying to record and like really pass no judgment, like stick with that person. But yeah, (laughs) they also have to be exceedingly talented and uh, as like, um, a producer and especially like a vocal producer. Like I think vocals are so important and a lot of audio people don't really care about a vocal take that much. I think that's really what separates people and why I think Alex Estrada should be way more high profile than he is because he's just like, this guy's an incredible vocal producer. And like a lot of people care about that a lot, like a, a good vocal, but 
um, most audio people care about fucking guitar pedals and preamps <laughs> and fucking kick drum mics and kick drum sounds. And your average fucking music listener doesn't know what the fuck a kick drum is. You right. know what I mean? They've never heard. They don't. They're like, what the fuck kick drum sound? Yeah. They listen <laughs> to the fucking vocal. They're connecting right. with the vocal. Yeah. And, no, you're not and wrong. Alex cares about that. And yeah. He, and that I think that so much of our success as a band has to do with me being nurtured. Um, not like pushed by Alex to do a better vocal, but like, I like this. I don't like that. Cause your bandmates are like, sounds good, dude. I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, do you think if you want to do another one, but they don't <laughs> fucking know they're not fucking vocal producers. And right. that's why I, like, I, I, if I, I, whenever I tell people like, I mean, if you're a fucking grindcore band or whatever, like go record with anybody, but like, if you actually have like songs and you, you're kind of shy about singing you know on a recording but you have like some good songs or whatever like alex can really nurture that and um help you do something that is better than you would have been able to absolutely no absolutely this is basically just a commercial for yeah for uh, for alex estrada i think think, yeah he's paying (laughs) you better you better see some real back yeah yeah yeah, some real uptick and getting a commission I've actually seen him this weekend, which is which would be nice. <laughs> right uh, I feel I've been making a joke. I feel like I've spent more time with Alex uh, during this lockdown than I have uh, even with uh, my girlfriend. So yeah, I see yeah, him yeah. constantly. I've like, seen him quite a bit too. Yeah, yeah. We're just it's like every other week someone's like, "Hey, you want to come record this? You want to hop on my record?" And it's, it's like, All yeah. right, I guess I'm going to Alex again. Yeah. Um, so uh, last last first thing, and then I want to I want to ask about a, a few different record stuff. But um, sure. for what was your first tour? Was that Joyce Manor? Uh, no, uh, English work standard did like a seven day tour where like four of the shows got canceled. Um, sounds like we a perfect Vegas. First tour. Yeah. We played Vegas. We played Phoenix. We put the trunk space to like nobody. I think there was like two people there and we played another town in Matt Ebert would know where the other show was. But we played one more show and oh, we played Las Cruces too. Our, actually our Las Cruces show was fucking amazing and nice. real. We played one one amazing show. People were going nuts, and we had a blast, and it felt like the best feeling. Were you out ever. on your own, or did you come out with another band? No, we went out with a band called American Lies. Okay. I don't know if you know American Lies. It's, no. It's dude, Casey. Casey plays in, um, he played in a band with Homie from ACXDC. He had a, another band. It was like a fast core band. Hmm. Uh, is that guy's name Sergio? Is that right? From ACXDC? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Sergio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, he was in a band with that guy. It's like a fast core band. Um, anyway, it, Casey is the best guy ever, but he had a band called American Lies. They're from Glendora. We used to go out to Glendora and play with them. It was fucking sick. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, we just hit it off with them, and we went on a fucking tour together. <laughs> and we have one sick show. <laughs> it was all the way in Las Cruces. The rest of it was so, <laughs> such a bummer. Were so you, were time you both, of my life. Were you both in the same time. band? No. Okay, drove separate. Yeah. Nice. I don't. Pre- I don't remember what we were in. I have no idea what we toured in. Yeah, it's funny when you remember. think back. Yeah, we're like, what did we do? I have no fucking clue what vehicle we were in. Were you in like an SUV, maybe? Like not no even a van. Idea. I have no memory. Yeah. I'm just realizing right now. I have no fucking. I don't think Matt Ebert had the Sprint had the um, Element yet. Honda Element <laughs> could okay. have been the Honda Element, but I don't think he had it yet. Okay. Okay. So I have no fucking clue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so that was your first band with Matt Ebert. That was pre. Yeah, it was me, me, Matt, and um, Chad. Okay. Uh, you know Chad? Do you know Chad? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny. He just he was just guitar teching and stuff for your for your show, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. I I was literally watching him guitar tech and I didn't realize it was him. Yeah, he's like, long hair now. Yeah. yeah, he just it just did flew over me. I saw yeah. um uh I'm sure you Mallory uh mm-hmm. after the show Mallory went up and was like, "Hey, yeah. did you see Chad?" I was like, "No." It was yeah, like yeah. blew my mind. Um so, he tours with us, so sometimes he'll he'll like leave merch and just like set up our shit so that we can walk out. Like yeah. whenever whenever we have like walk out, because we used to set up our own shit and then like walk off stage and then walk back on. It's like a weird feeling. Eight minutes later, and we're like, hey, because they all like cheer when we come out to set up our gear, and it's like, kind of no, 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 not yet, not yet. Right. Yeah. Plug in my pedals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How so long did it? Ask, how long did it take you to get? To get to the point where you wanted to ask someone to do that for you, I feel like that's a funny I, I first experience. I only am comfortable asking Chad, <laughs> yeah, because he's my friend, and I, I would feel really weird asking. And Chad like like knows about gear and likes gear and stuff, so it's like, sure, it's kind of weird to ask another um, merch person unless they're like I could go over it with them beforehand. But yeah, I feel a little weird. I and you know what? I saw Built to Spill one time, and they set up their own gear, and I was right. like, whoa, that's tight. Dude, and so we, I always kind of was like, we're never, I don't ever want to be like too good to set up my own gear, but it's kind of awkward. It's awkward when you walk out and the kids go, ah, there they are. And then you're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, no just d- plugging in my fucking tube screamer. You're like, no, I'm wearing the shirt that I'm not going to be wearing in five minutes. Yeah, like know, it's, yeah, I'm a different person right weird. now. Um, yeah, exactly. I remember we played, uh, we played a festival in, in, uh, in like Switzerland or something like that. A co- like the last year of touring, and it, and like the headliners were like Green Day and like Rancid and and like so we're all standing on the side watching Rancid just being like this is fucking sick, and I look over and uh, Trey Cool is setting up his drums with his drum tech and they're just like together just like talking and laughing and like setting up his drums and I was like that's so fucking sick yeah like yeah that rules man I don't know just I, I was just like yeah like. It's just something to fucking. It's just weird to hire somebody to like roll around with you and do that shit. It's like I know how to fucking set this shit up. I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. But yeah. But the, for the only reason is that it can be kind of awkward. That's yeah, the re- no, reason to have somebody like that. Yeah. One of the conversations that I remember having with you before before our last record was whenever I get whenever I have to start writing, I often reach out to other friends that are also singers and bands just to be like, hey, I'm looking for. I'm having a bit of a writer's block moment like give me your advice and you talk to me about how you'll often wake up and immediately start writing and do like kind of stream of consciousness writing and i remember you specifically saying you'll be shocked at how often how negative so much of what you're writing might be but then every so often you'll like get something good out of it and be like okay now i'm gonna you know maybe i can use this or something like that um I'm curious when that started for you and um, like how much that has helped you in your life. I, I'll be honest. I didn't end up doing that because I don't. Oh, yeah. I, I, I suck. But uh, I keep it in my mind where I'm like, one of these days I'm going to do what Barry suggested. Oh, I, I, I haven't done it in. I did it for this last record and it worked. Um, the one that we, we wrote one and recorded it. It's not out yet, but um, it's like in the bag. Uh I only do it when I'm like, fuck, I need songs. Like, it's okay. All right, time to fucking get a record going. Um, but I should do it every day because it just it's a good thing to do. Um, and I think what I was maybe saying was the content of what I write. Is like it, Basically, what you do is you wake up, and the first thing you do is write three pages stream of consciousness. Don't let the pen stop moving. 
Just write. Even if you don't know what to like, I don't know what to write. I don't want to do this. I don't know why I'm doing this. I have nothing to say. It's the same, like, I'm writing the pages. I'm writing. I'm, but just don't stop and think. Just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. And fill up till you fill up three pages and do that every single day. And the contents of the notebook are often negative. And it like the, I was like warned, like, it, there's a, it's a book called The Artist's Way. And right, has, I was like, curious if, the that's, main, if that's yeah, what... The Artist's yeah. Way is what it's called. And it's the, um, that's like the main thing is your morning pages. But there's other like little assignments that are supposed to kind of connect you to your artistic self or whatever. And, and I never really ended up doing the assignments. They were like, go to a museum alone. And I was like, oh, I'm good. Um, <laughs> but I did the morning pages and they worked. They like totally worked. And um, yeah, the contents of the pages were often very negative, but I never used anything I wrote in the pages in a song. Wow. Uh, that's not really how it works. It's just the, I would notice songs or ideas would come to me later in the day. Or just in my life, I would find myself having kind of like, oh shit, I got to write that down. Like that's so really good. So in a way, like, it would kind of like flush out sort of. Yeah, exactly. Like what you was maybe surrounding the idea. The static of just kind of like, like your negative kind of, Everyone kind of has a negative critical voice in their head. It's totally. like, um, just, yeah, just to kind of keep you from, keep you in check, I guess, or whatever. Like, it's a, it kind of keeps you safe. Like, don't do that. No, that's going to hurt you. Or like, no, don't, you'll be disappointed if you do that or whatever. But it can keep you um, from trying anything or doing anything. You know, everyone has to kind of contend with a critical inner self. Um, but yeah, this is just a way of kind of um, quieting that, I guess, and just yeah. forcing yourself to, uh, Hear that, hear that, like that out, and then just kind of get it out of the way. And for whatever reason, if you just do three pages every day, you will find yourself kind of having more creative ideas. It's kind of like maybe going to the gym or something like that. It just exercises the part of you that um, gets ideas down on paper or whatever. And so, yeah, nothing in the pages I've ever used in a song. Wow. The actual just stream of conscious yeah, writing. That wasn't the goal. The goal wasn't like, oh, I really liked what I was saying here. Yeah. It's always just later when I'm, I pick up a guitar and start strumming all like a vocal melody will show up whereas like i'll have like a month or two where i just every time i pick up the car, guitar i play the same fucking chord progression yeah and nothing happens and i'm just kind of like i or i have something but it's it's trite and uninspired and i don't really like it but and i'm just kind of like doing that till hopefully something happens and i notice when i'm writing the pages the consistency at which ideas happen and things like that, like kind of lightning strikes, um, is more, is more frequent. Um, I don't know if you've listened to it, but I got turned on to a great episode. Uh, there's a Spotify podcast called like best advice and Billy Corgan went on and and all these people were telling me like, you got to listen to this Billy Corgan episode. And I was like, really? I do. I'm going to listen to it. And it's, it, it's honestly like one of the best, most concise like great great uh advice on on everything from like writer's block to you know how to just like move around the music industry and and all that sort of stuff but i mean at one point he's like you gotta allow yourself to write a bad song write a bunch of bad songs he was like he's he's like don't don't like stop yourself and be like this sucks like let yourself write bad songs because he's like there's you know this he's like there's songs in my life that have you know made me who I am. Like I wrote in 20 minutes, but you know, like, cause those things just happen. They just kind of fly out of you. If you're like 
not blocking up the dam. You know, if you're just kind of exactly. keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what the pages are too. It's like, it's just kind of getting that. Um, oftentimes when I'll start to write a song, I'll be like, this isn't good. Or like, it just, cause yeah, you're making yourself vulnerable. You're like, you kind of know that you're going to end up sharing this with someone and you kind of are like, this isn't good. That's not or like, yeah, you just, and, and you just have to keep, um, keep writing through that. And yeah, allow, exactly. Allowing yourself to write a bad song. That's a really good way of putting it and, uh, not get down on yourself and just be like, yeah, I, I have a feeling whenever I write something that's good, that that's the last one. Hmm. Like, I don't know why. I have a weird dread of just like, well, th- that was it. That was the last one. You know, like, I, I have had it since the first record. You know, like, I was wow. just like, this is, you, yeah, this is there. You only get one like that. I don't know why. Um. So, yeah, I mean, so first record came out in 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. Of all things, came out 2012. But it was like about a year and a half later, it seemed. Um, you had if you did that with uh, with Jack Shirley. Um, and Alex. You, and Al- we recorded it with Jack. We recorded it with Jack, and it came out bad. And it, was not, it wasn't his fault. Yeah. We didn't really spend time writing. We didn't practice at all. I wanted it to kind of be like, I'm like a big Bob Dylan fan and got to be voices fan. And a lot of those recordings are like first and second takes. And I, that's what I wanted to try to do. I was like, I don't want to overwork this shit. I was like, I have a couple ideas and we're just going to kind of write in the studio and throw it together and record it. And that, that'll be what it is. And then it was fucking awful. <laughs> right. And that's, uh, yeah, I, I had vague memories of, of that sort of a thing where, um, yeah, it seemed kind of like pieced together and through through different things. And what yeah. do you think in retrospect now that you're looking back on it? Like, was it did you feel like a pressure t- for that follow up to that record? And you were like, let's just go get it done. Or oh my god, like so much pressure. I never at that point, and I was 24 when the first record came out. I never at that point done anything that people I didn't know had heard. Right. Like, har- like I mean, I think a few people heard the English work standard, but like I'm talking, you could count it on one, one hand pretty much like the complete, sh- like strangers knew my band and liked my songs. And the first time I felt any kind of pressure to follow anything up. Right. And like I said, I just felt like I was like, cause I don't, cause you know, I feel like a good song happens and it's this moment of inspiration and it's not something that you have control of. It's not like I have like a formula for like, this is how I write good songs and, and I'll just, do it whenever I need some and then, you know, people will, will love it and then everything will be great. It felt like this thing that I, I didn't have control over. And I think, yeah, it's an anxiety thing and it's kind of like a, I, I don't have control over this and it could end at any moment and um, stress me the fuck out. And yeah, I, I had a really, really hard time with that second record and feeling pressure to follow up. Um, what, what that, to that point, was kind of like my life's work because a lot of the stuff on the first album are songs from uh earlier earlier bands yeah like bands i was with like with elliot and stuff right did uh so going into then never hung over again you know you put two years between the two Mm -hmm. did you go into that with like a sense of like okay i've learned what works and what doesn't like did you go like i guess what i'm getting at is was that record fully written before you went and recorded it with Joe Reinhardt. Were you like, was it a, the full vision of it? Like, did you make yourself feel very prepared? So I'll try to be quick and, but give you some detail. Um, 
So we went and did it in Philly. We recorded it in Philly with Joe. And it had a couple extra songs on it. And the only ones that we ended up using, and we didn't end up using these exact recordings, but they were more or less the same, were Heart Tattoo, Catalina Fight Song, and Schley. They changed a little bit from the first time we recorded them to the second time. But, like, we weren't demoing. We were, like, trying to record a record. And I had, like, I had like I think I had ten songs. One of them we scrapped immediately because it sucked. So, we're like, all right, we have nine songs. And then we recorded those nine, and a lot of it just wasn't very good. A lot of it was, like, even, I think I would say worse than of all things. It was, like, a, it, was a di- it was disappointing. And so, is that, I got to ask, is that you feeling that way or is that kind of, or like, is that kind of consensus in the band? Okay, kind of consensus cool. in the band. I was curious. And, and definitely how, me. And, yeah. and I'm like, we could do better, but you kind of consensus in the band. Okay. That it wasn't our best stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I was, I was freaking out. I was super bummed. And, um, yeah, we'd flown out to Philly to record this record. We ran out of time. I kind of blew out my voice. Um, Ugh, we realized a lot of the songs weren't very good. And so we decided, all right, well, we'll book another session and I'll write some more songs. And I don't know. Yeah, it was just just wasn't very good. And so kind of took some of the stuff from the other songs and that we didn't end up using, rewrote stuff. And then Chase went up to so so Heart Tattoo, Callie Fight Song, Schley, I wrote pretty much everything. I think maybe Matt might have augmented the baseline in um Schley. But this is still the point where I was writing pretty much every every part mm-hmm. of the song. And um Chase went up to hang out with his girlfriend in Santa Cruz and he was just hanging out smoking weed and playing guitar and then he he texts me, he's like, Hey I have a, I have this riff and this was not a thing that we did. Like he yeah. was like, I have a riff and I was like, sick dude, <laughs> you know, <like> whatever <laughs> <laughs> And then and then and then he's like, Yeah, let, do you want to like see if if we can use it, I don't know if you can write a song with for it or something. And then came to practice and he showed me the riff and I was like, that's cool. It kind of sounded like twinkly emo. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll use it. It's kind of cool. And then I was like, I have a song. I wrote a new song and the song was like, okay. Like it was like, it's kind of cool. It was, it was a little different. It was a little more like rocking or something. And so I, I played my song for them and everyone was kind of like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Maybe we could do something with it. And then I was like, let's play them at the same time. You play your riff, and I'll play my song. And uh, and then it's the jerk. And then immediately, it was just, like, way better and, like, really cool. But it was that riff, like, the way it kind of um, weaved around the vocal melody made it a lot more interesting and cool. That's the and, craziest um, thing to just be like, let's just play them at the same time. You know, it's, and it's funny, too, because what he had for the verse, I was like, I was like, oh, it kind of works. And I was like, play it over the chorus. And then we played yeah. it over the chorus, and it was like, that makes sense. And then we used the chorus riff that he had. He's like, this is the chorus part. We played that over the verse, and then that's the jerk. That became the song. And it was just immediately, like, a, ten times more exciting. Wow. And felt like, this is it. So then we, then we wrote, like, the jerk, and then we wrote, like, falling in love again and then we wrote like end of the summer then we wrote he did swimming pool and in the army now and it's like chase had ideas and then he kind of had these like i he's like, I have a few riffs like I, I just i don't know i play guitar and like i get high and i'm like oh that's cool you know and I was like, okay like more like more like let's let's do this and i would yeah. just kind of take bits of songs i had and then build off of them like once i had this momentum of like oh and and i had been getting i think that's when i had gotten into um 
we had played with Tony Molina up in the Bay Area, and uh, he was him and his friends were talking about his bandmates were talking about Big Star, and I was like, I never really could. I was like, I always tried to get into Big Star, but I couldn't get into it. And then he's like, he's like, okay, he's like, have you ever heard the record Third? And I was like, no, I, I thought they only had that one record. And he's like, but no, the they Star, have, yeah, they three, yeah, they have, exactly. I thought they just had one record, yeah, for some reason. And then um, he was like, he's like, no, no, you should check out the record Third. And I went home and listened to it, and it like blew me away. And so I got really into Big Star. And so I think I started kind of using Chase's guitar parts. And I, I would kind of edit them for him a little bit. I'd be like, this part's cool. The rest of this is not. Like, Or I'd be like, take this from this song and then that from that song. And we'll, it just gave me more to work with. And, and yeah. um, I started putting it over my own vocal melodies. And we just started kind of making these more intricate things and yeah it ended up kind of sounding a little bit big starish um would, where there's like these you, moving parts so with never hung over again then it seems that like that's the point in which choice manner became a lot more of a collaborative effort and in a way i'm assuming yeah. in a way i'm assuming that took a lot of pressure off of you that you had put on yourself especially with oh, of all God, things and, yes. and everything yeah yes yeah and 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 yeah the first batch of songs like so much of it was just not that exciting and not that good and then once we once Chase was in the mix, this the attitude the for everybody else in the band. Like I, I, there was definitely times where I was like, we're not doing a third record. I was like, we'll just have, and I, I, I there was times where I wish we only did the one record. I was like, I wish we just hadn't done that second record. Like, it would just would be so cool if we were this band that just did this one album. What's funny and though, it's is like our first record, you know. Yeah. What's funny though is, as I'm sure you realize as you go over, there's I'm sure there's a hell of a lot of people who think the second record is your best record. Yeah, Which is, uh, some cer- certain kinds of people. I'm always just like, yeah, of course you fucking think that. You yeah, know, like, <laughs> just yeah like, of course right. you fucking think that. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people really like it, and I think so, we're gonna try to do something where we um, dig up the first takes, the first versions, and do like a deluxe edition for. I mean, I don't, I don't want to do this for every record. I think no. Never Hung Over Again yeah. is just fine how it is, and we'll leave it alone. Yeah. But I think it would be interesting to dig up some of the uh, first versions and the first takes or whatever. Um, yeah. That we did with Jack, just to, just for those people who like that record, just because I have a, a negative relationship with that album and I can't really enjoy it. Um, it just sounds like I'm struggling to. I'm just I'm lost. I don't know what I'm trying to do. I don't know yeah. what I want to do. You know what I mean? I'm like, one minute I'm trying to write like a Smiths type song or like Pains of Being Pure to Heart type song, and next minute I'm trying to do. I don't know what the fuck. I don't know what's going on in that record. Yeah, it's I sound. I feel very. I feel it sounds very how I was at the time, which you know, maybe a lot of people feel like that in their life. And so they can relate to that. And it's interesting too being a member of a band that when you have such a strong opinion about one record and then maybe you talk to other bandmates and they're just like, no, it's not bad. You know, like for instance, like I, I've vocally had a, a bad reaction to our third record. And there's a lot of people that think, Man, it's, that's the one that I got into your band with, or like I love that record, yeah. or whatever the hell. Right. And and you know the guys in my band at some point got real upset at me because I was being kind of vocal about my dislike for for that record, and it's all my it's all of my shit on the record. Your contribution, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's like what it's like that's what made me not feel great about it. And like yeah. so, I realized I was like, man, I'm doing a bad. I'm not doing any this band any deserve you know any good service by shitting on something that's like it's only my thing. It's like a very you know. Oh, totally. It's yeah. a lesson I had yeah, to learn. I know, and thankfully, I mean, for me, it's like I I was still writing everything at that point, so I feel like I had some place to kind of um, 
taught be that bands. critical yeah yeah be that critical exactly but even then i probably shouldn't have because it still was a band like we were still like the way especially kurt the drummer like the way he played really dictated what we were able to do yeah so so that that like those limitations there like his style of drumming it's like that was a contribution and the way matt plays bass is pretty distinct and unique so yeah for me to for me to talk shit about it, i maybe should have been more or i guess to this day should be more thoughtful of um it's not just me but, yeah, uh, I feel like but yeah, once it was collaborative, more collaboratively, especially on Never Hung Over Again, it's like um, it was easier to be proud of. And the feeling in the band was was not even just from me, like even from like Matt and Kurt was that it was we were really writing something exciting and good. So I wanted to ask you about uh, Cody, because you went to Rob Schnaff. Am I yeah. saying his last name correctly? Schnaff? Yeah, Schnaff. OK. Um and was that based here in LA? Did you record yeah. that record in LA? We did in okay. LA, yeah. Um, was that someone that you had always looked to as a producer that you enjoyed, or was he sort of like maybe an epitaph recommendation or something? Kind of both. Um, <clears throat> I was familiar with his production from the Elliott Smith stuff and the Saves the Day stuff, and I knew who he was. Like, he, I was, um, as far as a producer, I knew that he was, he did a Guided by Voices record I liked, and yeah, I was like, I knew about Rob Schnaff and I knew he was a great producer. And we, I was having lunch with Brett. He like, he was like, Hey, like let's, uh, let's have lunch. And I was like, okay. I just thought we were just having lunch. Uh, we hadn't been on the label that long. I, I didn't know it meant anything. Like we were, I had something to talk about and we're having lunch and he's like, all right. So yeah, you need to like get back in the studio. And I was like, I don't have any songs. Like I, I, I think I have like one song written. I, I just don't have any songs. And I was like, oh, you know, when they, when they come, then we'll record, you know, no, no rush. And he's like, doesn't work like that. He's like, you're not in your early twenties anymore. You need to set a deadline so that you will actually write. Otherwise you'll never write. He's like the days hmm. of waiting around for inspiration to strike. He's like, that's over. He's like, you need to keep the momentum of your career going. And he's like, it's time for you to like go back in the studio. And, you know, at, the, at this point I was just like, we had just toured a bunch. I never hung over again. And the whole like stage dive thing had happened. And I was just kind of burnt. I was like, I don't fucking last thing I want to do is go out there and tour more. But I kind of wild too. Cause, cause that would have been like, what this conversation would have been happening. What a year before, a year after, like after, after that record, out. a year record yeah. had come out, been out for like a year. And I was like, dude, like what? What's the, what's the rush? It's like, crazy. He's like, yeah, 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 just keep it going. Cause I guess we had had quite a bit of momentum. Like from when we'd signed Epitaph, when we had put out the record, he's like, let's keep it going. And like, yeah, some cool, we had played Coachella and stuff. He's like, you need to do another record. And like, let's, you can't let the stack, like you don't get to fucking chill. You know what I mean? Like this is the part of your career where you need to be working. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, all right. I feel that. And just even him saying that, like, I was like, yeah, if we had studio time, I would be working a lot harder to try to come up with shit. You know what I mean? I don't, I wouldn't want to show up, uh, without songs. So I was like, okay. So yeah, we, we were like, he's like, you should go into the studio this time. And then we could plan for this r- a record and like release it this time. And just him even saying that got me like, yeah, a record, a new record. Yeah. Cool. And, um, then we started, he started throwing out producer ideas. Um, and the first thing he said was Bill Stevenson. Mm. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know if that's really my, my style sonically. And then 
um, I threw out actually Mark Trombino, and he was like, he was like, he's like, yeah, that it would be cool. He's like, he's not really doing records. He's like, he's kind of doing the donut thing. So yeah. And then and then he threw and Brett was like, what about Rob Schnaff? And I was kind of like, I mean, that would be cool in like hypothetically, but I was like, I don't think he's interested in recording a fucking pop punk band. You know, like I don't. I know he'd done the Saves the Day record, but the stuff that yeah. he, he typically does is like of a, I don't know, more more cooler. It's like cooler and more indie rock and, and not, not some fucking pop punk band. Anyway, um, I was like, I mean, yeah, we that would be amazing, but I don't think he would do it. So Brett texted him while we were having lunch, and then like three minutes later, he's like, yeah, Rob's down. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa like like just, just so like instant. that yeah so yeah i was like that's it like yeah. that's all it is like we don't have a screening process he doesn't like yeah i was just like he asked he's like hey do you want to record joyce manor and, and then you and then Bre- i think rob's like sure Bre- rob's real dry and he was like he's like sure or like yeah or something <laughs> like that like a one word text back and he's like yep it's cool yeah. so then yes yeah, so then i hopped on the phone with rob talked to him again really weird really dry not weird. Not he's not weird at all. Once you know him, but he's he's a little dry. He leaves long pauses in between <laughs> things he says that make you feel stupid. <laughs> like like the what like you'll say something to him and then he'll just pause a long time before he responds and you just feel like whatever you said was like really insulting to him or like just r- the stupidest fucking thing he's ever heard. But he's like thinking of how to respond thoughtfully and then he does and then but there's this like gap moment of feels dread like fucking three hours before he responds to what you said. Where you're just like, oh, I blew it. Like this guy hates me now. Oh, I um, could I could totally see that. I think I told you when yeah. we when we hung recently. I, I've been around him a couple times now because he's been working with Angel Dust and just like, uh-huh. yeah. When I met him, I was you know like kind of gushing at him a little bit, but trying to keep myself yeah. cool at the same time. And I could tell that that what you're describing was totally right. He was a completely lovely, very sweet person. He is, and once you know him and know how he operates, like yeah. he's really sen- he's really sensitive and he's really um, thoughtful and one like a really great guy. I, I love Rob, yeah, as a, like a producer and a friend and everything. But yeah, at first it can be a little bit hard to get on the same uh, get a read. wavelength as him. Get a read. He's hard to get a read on, but um, yeah, and I and I don't think he's doing that intentionally. I think he's just a thoughtful. Yeah, that's part. It's, of, it's part of his gift. Honestly, it's part of what makes him a great record producer is the, the how he's how he's wired. I do think that's an older generation thing, too, because we're our generations are a lot more prone to just talking and being quick and yeah. like saying the first thing that comes to mind. And um, the guy who manages us, uh, he's mm-hmm. similar in that way, too, where like when I'm talking to him, I'll, I'll feel like I have just like unloaded and just like spewed word vomit for like five minutes yeah. and then they'll just kind of like well, and then I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, man, like, like <laughs> cool or something like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, it, and it just it, it yeah and it feels like dry and short and maybe like they're being curt with you but they don't mean to come across that way yeah, yeah. they're absorbing the actually, information I have, I yeah have, yeah and then responding with what's necessary yeah whereas like I, yeah i feel like when i talk to some people they're kind of like totally man i feel that completely and like a lot of a lot of like padding with whatever right. they're saying not just like yeah like that sounds great, man, or like an emoji to go with it or something. You know what I mean? But <laughs> totally. it's just fucking dry. Yeah. It's dry. But so um, yeah, it was great working with Robin, and it uh, is our first time we ever worked with like a like a 
record pro- like Joe. I mean, Joe. Joe was a producer, but was kind of one of our peers and totally. And was more hands off. He didn't like really. The first time someone really took apart our songs and shit. Totally, and that's what I'm getting at. Is like for someone like Rob, who obviously has been around for a long time, very experienced, and has worked with a ton of different kind of bands. Um, there's always something really beautiful about those kind of relationships because often when you go to a, especially a new producer, you're looking for someone who you're looking for that outside perspective, you know, cause you're so mm-hmm. used to your unit. And, um, so having someone like Rob, who like, this is such a generic comment on Cody, but like, yes, songs are longer on that record, you yeah. know, like, and is that an influence that came in th- that you remember, like where maybe Rob said, look, you guys got some good choruses. Why don't we do them more than once? You know, was that like a, a, was that ever a conversation? You know what it was more? It was he would put, because Cody isn't that long, but there are some longer songs. Like, uh, right. But they're kind of longer. The only one he made longer was a song called Stairs, which mm-hmm. was shorter. And he, he was like, you got to do that chorus again. And exactly what you're saying. He was like, let's find a way to make it so that chorus happens again, because it can't just happen once. It's really good. And but with the song like Last You Heard of Me, which is three minutes long, um it was just that was just three minutes long. But sure. he did really interesting stuff to that song where um he d- he he tries to make things less in twos and fours. Like he will have you do something one time, or mm. he'll have you do something three times, or on the third time, he just makes the math of the song more interesting. So like He's like, okay, on the when we're on this the third verse or whatever, um, when you get to that progression the third time, go to this note instead, and you'll just change one thing, a uh, like you know, uh, three fourths of the way through the part, and it seems it's, it seemed arbitrary at first, and it's so weird and so counterintuitive to me. Just used to, used to be like, do it this four times, do this four times, and even if it was like a song that didn't repeat, I generally just naturally did things four times sure and he would be like cut it short and then it just um keeps the song more engaging and it it messes with your expectations and then but once you're used to it or if you've never heard it a different way it sounds so intentional yeah but it's just a way to set you kind of set up um it's playing with people expect people's expectations like comedians do it all the time where it's like you'll have something uh line you'll set something up and then something will happen really abruptly and it's just uh yeah, it's just a way of making the song work. Yeah, it, it's maybe it, for longer, where a song would would have got boring. Yes, but just that little chop, that one little edit, gives you so much more life. I wonder if you agree with me on this. Where one of my favorite things lyrically that I love when people do, similar to like throw people off the track, is mm-hmm. when you're setting up a very a very obvious line, and that and the next rhyme is very obvious, but you don't yeah. you don't use that oh, word. Oh. All the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I, I, I often try to like, ha- I'll write something that rhymes, and then I'll, uh, yeah, I, I'll intentionally not rhyme. Or yeah, or if you have like, if you like mess up a, um, a saying, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like an old like, I'm trying to think of a good example. I think Paul Westerberg does it a lot, um, where it's like, um, play makeup, wear a guitar. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. you just switch switch two of the words, um, right? That kind of shit's really cool. Yeah, Kirk which Cobain is, isn't exactly the same thing, but Kirk Cobain does that type yeah. of stuff. It's just chopping stuff up, and um, but yeah, R- Rob had this really cool way of adding like a uh, 
just making the math of the song a little more interesting so it wasn't just four of this, four of this, four of this. He'd be like, yeah, just do one of those or just, yeah. And, right. And, and I think a lot of times my songs would end up being shorter because like, oh, it gets boring if it goes, if it goes longer. But it could have gone a little longer if, if you just kind of edited things to be less uh, yeah. gritted. Less to a grid, you know what I mean? No, so I if feel- anything, I think he kind of made the songs a little weirder. And, right. Um, but you know what? Probably a lot of huge pop songs have weird little things like that that you don't even notice. You mm. know, like like a Madonna song or whatever has like a little section where it does this part for just just once. You know, one bar yeah. of this. Or like just the vocals. Just to keep the song going. Vocals go to a different key for just like a bridge or something. Yeah. I, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just little little stuff like that that, that he did. That I, It seemed, and the way he would do it seemed arbitrary. And that, like, it kind of seemed like he wasn't really paying attention or invested because he's so dry. And then he would be like, yeah, uh, right here, like, halfway through that part, or, like, like a little more than halfway through that part, just go to E, like, play an E chord. <laughs> and I was just like, dude, like, don't fuck with my songs. Like, what do you do? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's so weird and arbitrary and just, like, changing shit to change stuff. Like, I was like, what? Is- and it didn't feel like he was like, I know this is crazy, but like, what if we tried this? He was just like, it seemed like he's like, I don't know, whatever, like, play E there, I guess. <laughs> and, but then once I got used to it, I was just like, fuck, that's so good. But he didn't yeah. really sell it. He didn't really sell his ideas. He's just like, try this. And, but he knows, like, he knows like, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. He, but he right. didn't like, he didn't have very, the best bedside manner. And he's not really a cheerleader or like, yeah. But he knows, but he knows. And I've learned to trust him. And we worked with him again on this last record. And, like, I just trust him now. Yeah. But it was hard at first because he doesn't sell his ideas. He's just yeah, like, I'm sure, well. I'm sure now that you're used to that was, I mean, I don't know. And I don't know how much you're comfortable talking about a record that obviously hasn't really been announced yeah, yet as far fun. as I know. Um, but, like, going back to him, did now knowing his personality type, did you find it was just like way like a much more smoother process for you mentally? So fun. It was like really fun. And it was, it was in the middle of a pandemic too. So like, you know, we all got like COVID tests and kind of we're in like a bubble, you know, like, and it was like the first kind of hanging out I'd done with just the dudes in my band and with Rob and who I, yeah, I've gotten grown really close with and feel really comfortable around now. And, um, yeah, completely different experience. And I just know how he is as a person. And I don't know, do you have friends like this where it's, like, people meet them and they're like, what the fuck is with that guy? And you're like, he's just like that. Like, <laughs> he doesn't mean it. Like, he's he he doesn't know he's like that. But, but that's a bad example of Rob because Rob is also really likable and cool. No, and I know like I Rob. know what you but, mean, though. Where, where yeah, but just, like, for me, at first I found I found him um, hard to read or whatever, but now we we communicate well with each other. But it, yes. took, it took a little while. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Kinlan from Self-Defense Family and, uh, and Drug Church is, is someone that sometimes are, people are surprised that he and I are such good friends because he's he does his best job to be a pariah at all times. Yeah, so. I, I think that guy's awesome. And he, he's fucking really good lyricist. I think he's got great I, I, fucking lyrics. Killer. And that guy writes on the spot. He literally shows up with nothing. Here's the song and then writes. It drives me crazy. I'm like, how can you be that yeah. good? I think he just does it so often. Like, he's, he's pretty prolific with his different bands and he's always doing stuff so if you're just always yeah yeah that's pretty crazy it's it's insane um yeah 
And then a quick note on million dollars. So uh, I remember I was I feel like I was talking to you and Matt a lot around that time just because I was so mm-hmm. fascinated with the fact that you went to Kurt Ballou. Uh, for yeah. listeners, Kurt Ballou of Converge, um, not normally known for doing bands that sound like Joyce Manor, but I was most excited because I think when a when a band goes to a producer who's known for one specific sort of style, that's when you get some of the coolest results because it's something out of their wheelhouse and often they're more excited about it because it's not something that they often get a chance to do. Um, was that, I was curious if that was sort of the conversation when you first talked about working with Kurt. Um, first, the first person we tried to get was, I don't know how to say his name. Ariel Ruckstride. I'm unfamiliar. He did like, he did like Carly Rae Jepsen. He was in the hippos, but he did like, he's done like Vampire Weekend, Carly Rae Jepsen. Okay. Heim. He's like a, yeah, he's like an ex-ga guy that does a. Pop records. Huge, like pop records. Yeah, I was, I was like, that would be cool to do something like that. And just didn't really hear back. I think we like s- sent him stuff and he's like, cool, I'll listen to it. or whatever. And then didn't really hear back. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, he's busy doing gigantic records. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so, so we didn't hear back from him. And then, and then, <laughs> and then we were going to go back to Rob. We uh-huh. were like, all right, we'll go back to Rob. And I think just like the curiosity of like, what would it be like? I've wanted to work with Kurt for a long time was kind of like just the excitement of doing something different, you know, because like, we had worked with Rob. I was like, well, I wonder what Kurt would do with a Joyce Manor record. And just that curiosity kind of, I, won't, I don't know if it got the better of us, but it just, it made it so we decided to go and work with Kurt. Um, and yeah, it, it was one of those things where like, that's a weird record because I had written a lot of it with this dude in Texas named Rory. And I, we were kind of doing like a, I'll write a verse and a chorus and I'll send it to him and then he'll build off of it and come up with the bridge and, and write the bass lines, come up with the drum parts. Like he would use, make these drum loops or whatever. And then rewrote all the harmonies and stuff. So we were kind of like collaborating like that. Not for any, not for like Joyce Manor per se. It was just, we were just fucking around. But when we had a few songs of that, it was like, well, what are we going to do with these? And eventually I just decided to make them Joyce Manor songs. So, we recorded them, but they were pretty much done. They were kind of already produced. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, uh, they didn't need like fleshing out necessarily. Like Rory had already kind of done his thing to them, and they felt really finished. So it was just kind of re-recording something that we already liked, which was a little frustrating because it's like, you know what I mean? Like you have demoitis already. It's like I already like it. Like I don't. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But but it was like but it sounded a little bit like it had drum it had fake drums. It was like not recorded super well, my my um, contribution to it anyway. And so it didn't sound quite pro, but I just really liked it. I found I thought it was really good. So we went in with Kurt and he had a lot of ideas. But like I said, like we had pretty severe demoitis. Like we were pretty set on how we wanted the songs to go. And and he was throwing stuff out there. And I think we were kind of shutting a lot of his ideas down. Mm. And um, and I think he kind of just got to the point. He was like, all right, whatever. Like you guys... You guys know what record you're trying to make, so um and he works really fast. So we track drums in like a day, guitars in like a day or day or two rather, like one guitar per day, and then uh, bass in like a couple hours. And then wow. I did vocals in like yeah, I did we I think we booked like two weeks and we were there for like eight eight days or something. 
Wow. So we recorded it super quick. Yeah. Um, and we already kind of basically had what we wanted to do down. Yeah. And then um, it came out. It came out cool. I just kind of, I kind of wish we had done like more of a not gone in so knowing exactly what we wanted to do because it didn't really come to life in the studio per se. It was, it was more like um, early days of recording where you just, for either of our bands where it's just like, all right, these are the songs, let's record them. Totally. And now yeah. it's done. You know what I mean? And, and nothing really like changed that much in the studio or came to life there. And I mean, right. I don't know for better or for worse. I, I like that record. It's an interesting record. And it has, and it has some really cool songs, but a lot of, a lot of it happened before I feel like we got to the studio. And what we tracked to the studio is, is cool. Some of it, like, we, we demoed some stuff with Alex, and I, some of it I kind of prefer the takes I got vocally on, on the demo stuff. I think the recording obviously sounds better. Cripple is a killer engineer. Like, yeah. really, really great. Yeah, really, yeah, really yeah. great. Sonics. So I like, I like how it sounds and, and all that, but I kind of feel like we maybe over, over, overcooked that one. Yeah, it's it's funny how that works. I never really thought too much about what you mentioned, demoitis, for people who are maybe unfamiliar. That's where you've demoed a song and you really are excited how it sounds and maybe you've listened to the demo way too many times. So then when you go yeah. in to record the record, you're trying to just make it sound exactly the same. Or Yeah, and you just prefer the version you already have. Yeah. Totally, yeah. So like when we did all the... we. We did all the we recorded all of Lament literally one week before going in with Ross Robinson, mm-hmm. um, and because I needed it, like I for yeah. as like coming from the vocals, like I was like I need to know that what I'm doing makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it drove totally. drove the band kind of crazy to like make them go in a week before we started recording of this record to like do it yeah. already, you know. Um, and, and I remember did you we do it, did you do it with Alex? We did it with Alex, yeah. And, and so it's fucking sounded good too. You yeah, know, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. So I remember uh-huh. sending it, we sent it to Ross Robinson and we're like, dude, you know, like this is the record. And, um, he was like, cool. Awesome. Thanks. And then once we got in the studio, you know, I was like referencing the demo and, and Ross is like, I'm going to listen. I'm going to be honest with you. I listen to it once. He was like, yeah. I, I didn't want to think about, he's like, I didn't want to get used to the songs cause I know we have to change them. And I was like, yeah. Okay. And you know, so like, there yeah. was, and you know, you and I were earlier were talking about, you know, tracking vocals with, with Alex where like you and I are the same. It seems where you're like, yeah, I could be with this other guy who's going to be a cheerleader and champion what I'm doing and everything like that. But I am also concerned that what I'm doing is correct. You know? Yeah. It's like, yes, I want it to be genuine, but I also want it to be correct. So Ross, you know, Ross is very much just like, no, we're just going to have you sing it as many times as we need to. And it'll, it'll be right. Don't worry about it. It'll be right. And it's just like, Oh my God. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, he's kind of into getting like the raw emotion, right? That's what he's more interested in. Totally. Yeah. So like, Which the, I, I mean, I like that. Yeah, I like I that mean, idea. That with dude, I would be fascinated to know what your experience would be like if you ever went to Ross, because it's like there's, like, you'll sing the entire song, and then you'll be like, you know, you'll have that moment where you're like, all right, you know, like, let's hear that back or whatever. Like, do you want me to come in and listen? You know, that I'm thinking mm-hmm. I'm about to have that conversation of like, should we listen to it? And yeah. this track will just start again. And he'll just be like, like, just to have me do it again. Keep going. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Then I'd sing it again. And then I'd be like, all right, we're done. And be, then the song would start again. I'd be like, there'd be times where I'd sing yeah. it like 14 times in a row. I'm just like, wow. without conversation. Just like, yeah, over Damn. and over. And you're just like, <sighs> but then, you know, you get down yeah. there and he's like, let's, you did some shit. 
you know it's yeah it's just yeah wild. let's let's yeah totally i um, i like that i like that he really cares about the vocals i think that that's cool above pretty much anything else like i mean he's an excitable it's, it's person yeah. yeah so uh what do you i mean is there like a a time frame sort of for the new record are you guys are you guys going to hold on to it to like things get a little easier or is there like a much of a plan or is it just kind of getting it still in still wrapping up like still wrapping up artwork and and stuff like that and yeah. then uh once it's once we get the artwork finished um uh we'll submit it to you know get pressed and vinyl vinyl times as you know are taking forever right now so let's actually sometime next year yeah let's talk for a quick a quick sec about album artwork how because obviously all your all your record covers are so different in a lot of ways but yeah seem very nonchalant very kind of borderline playful at times you know where you're just where it almost seems like a like you don't maybe give a fuck where you're like no just make that be the cover like i could see Mm. that being a conversation specifically like a never hung over again where it's just like this charming photo yeah 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 Um, i think well i think the cover the first one is is it's a cool picture and for me, kind of the vibe is maybe like Siamese Dream. It's like this kind of close-up, yeah. blown-out photo of kids. Like maybe that was kind of I didn't realize it at the time, but then later I was like saw it cover Siamese Dream. I was like, oh, oh, that's, <laughs> that's what I was going for. The yeah. feeling that's what I was going for. Obviously, yeah. Second record, I mean, Jesus Christ, that that was kind of like we were just fucking around with uh, this dude Scott Arnold, and um, he was like joking, and he made it all big and blown out. And we were like, oh, that's cool, or whatever, right? Um, we I had a different idea for the cover and it wasn't going well and so he just started like um, <laughs> just making type like being like dicking around like fucking yeah. around you know what I mean like I'll make this all big and we'll make yeah. the uh, and then I was like oh this is really cool and then and then uh, but yeah that's not also not my favorite cover it's cool and then never hung over again also had a different cover and then it was kind of a last minute switch okay. and I just love that picture of Matt and Matt, Matt and uh, Francis Francis yeah um uh, and um. Cody, Cody is uh that's a cool photo. That's a pretty very intentional, like intense kind of photo. Yeah. Was that like a planned yeah. out? Like you had that in mind, like something my like friend, that. My friend Adam DeGrasse, who um he actually tours with Post Malone. As oh yeah, I know Adam He's a little like, bit. You know Adam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had just taken that photo and he just like posted it on the internet and I was like, yo, that is such a sick photo. Could we use that? Oh wow. So that's probably okay. the most typical record cover, I would say. And then the the Millionaire's Tell Me one is at the Phoenix Theater, just us loading out after a lot of drinks, and we look <laughs> funny and having a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that one is probably the least um, interesting, I would say, of the of the album. It's it's dark, and it's a uh, like I mean, it just it's black, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the other one's like green, white, pink, like black and white. Um, that one's like black. Yeah, uh, mostly. Um. Yeah, I, li- I like that one. Um, it's funny, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of like the record. It's like it's like we just went in and recorded it, and like here's just a photo of us. Sure. Um, not very stylized. It's pretty raw. Um, which yeah, I think I think people have commented on that record being really slick, but it's very not slick. Like it's it's just the it's the million dollar record. Yeah, it's not slick. It's like definitely not. Like there's I think not what a lot is, of uh what I think it is is that it's the songwriting and it's just so sonically available. You know what I'm saying? Like like all of the parts sound very intentional. Like Big Lie, which is arguably my favorite song from your band. Like Oh, thanks. Like 
that song sounds very specific. You know what I'm saying? Like all of the parts are very yeah. present and they're very intentional. And I think that could yeah. be, I think people often mix up slick with intentional. You know what I'm saying? Or just like poppy songwriting. Yeah. Like sure. it was, it's like the, it's very hooky. Yeah. And, and I was really, really, really focused on writing hooks at that, in that point in my, point in my life, which uh, on the new record, I try and try and do less, be less, less focused on trying to make everything like, as catchy as possible and just try to make things maybe more uh, exciting or like, I don't know. Yeah. Just try, just try not to make everything so fucking hooky. Cause yeah, when I, sometimes when I listen back to million dollars to kill me, like some of the songs, I'm just like, Jesus Christ. It's like really sugary, you know, <laughs> really saccharine almost. Yeah. Where I, I wanted to kind of make uh, this one a little more tense or like, uh, I don't know, uh, different, just push myself in a different direction. I'm excited to hear it. Well, shit, man. Let me uh, let me hit you with the last question, which is, uh, yeah. When was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards? Um, that is a really fucking good question. I don't I don't know if it's happened for me because, like I said, when I was a kid, and I, or we're like, you know, first starting out playing in bands, I definitely knew that's what I wanted to do. Like I was all in on it. And I was I was so focused and so driven and just just knew that that's what I was going to do. And then band broke up when I was like 19. And I kind of didn't really successfully get another band going until um, Joyce Manor. And th- things didn't really start happening for Joyce Manor until I was 24. So there was 20, 21, 22, 23. There was almost five years where it wasn't happening. And I felt really lost and I was really unhappy. I was... Um, drinking a lot and just a fucking mess like and i was yeah i felt like i i had something of a gift for songwriting and i had i I knew what i was supposed to be doing and i kind of failed and it didn't happen and i mean you know some people like don't have success till they're like 30s and that's like this really crazy story but i think even just not really having anything happen for your band until you're 24 and then something does you know you do end up having a really charmed and wonderful career um that just starts a little later um and i guess it's not that late i'm being a little dramatic but then then the whole time that joyce manor was first being successful it was kind of balanced in my mind with like it's going to be a a 15 minutes and i'm just going to enjoy it while it's happening and it'll it'll be over um so i'm just going to enjoy my 15 minutes and then it kind of just didn't stop and um but I was always kind of just preparing for like when I had to go back to reality and figure out what I'm going to do, whether it was like get a job at Whole Foods and work my way up and become a manager or something. And so as far as doing doing what the thing that I'm what was the question? It's kind of like what when the was fir- the moment yeah, I, like yeah. if like what if there was a moment where you were like, man, I'm actually like doing that, like uh, like this thing that I've, you know, thought about or, or envisioned that it, this is what I want to do, you know? There's some pictures of me playing FYF Fest the first year we played it, and I look like hap- so happy I look stupid. Like I look uh, just like a dumb. I'm like dumb happy. Yeah. Probably there. Probably there. I was like, look, I was. We were playing that, and I was just like, holy fuck, this is great. That I that I remember that moment being. There was a giant pit yeah. for one of our songs, um, and I was just like, this is so fucking cool. I was yeah. like really really happy at that moment. They actually used that when we covered the national um for that um 
AV, AV club, club thing. Yeah. They Pitchfork did a thing about it, and they posted a cool, moody-looking picture of the dude from the National, and they pictured posted a picture of me just with this like <laughs> a, a stupid look on my face. They're like, "This moron covers the National, like, like local <laughs> idiot covers that." Yeah, it's really funny. But that moment, like, and and how I look in the picture is like exactly how I felt. I'm just like smiling and like dumb, like like dumbfounded kind of, you know? Yeah. I love that. a little bit. I love that. No, that's great. It's worth looking up the picture. If you look up on the on Pitchfork, National Joyce Manor, like it's it's a funny it's a funny picture of me. Yeah. That's great. That's a great answer. I mean, especially if you have a photographic proof of the moment when it happens, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> stoked. So probably then. Awesome. Thank you so much, Barry. This has been a blast. I yeah, appreciate dude. you coming on and talking to me. Anytime. Hell yeah. And that's our show. Thank you so much for hanging out. And thank you to Barry for coming on. If you want a little more Barry, hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to hear the bonus episode where he's answering questions that were submitted by subscribers. Take care and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.